I'd invite you to turn now in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 30 through 34 as we continue to race through the Gospel of Mark. So Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Father, we would just ask that you would help us to uh, gain insight into uh, the significance of Mark's narrative at this point in the life of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And from that insight, gain the kind of truth that would nurture our lives, enable us to be more faithfully the disciples of Jesus, that we might fulfill your purposes for us, the purposes of being salt and light to this generation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, now, this section, we come to these five verses, uh, which bring us back to an earlier part of the story in, in chapter 6, where Jesus had commissioned his disciples with authority, his own authority, uh, to proclaim the message of the kingdom, uh, to bring mercy in terms of healing, uh, unclean spirits and diseases, uh, all throughout the villages and towns of, of Galilee. This ministry trip, this sort of missions trip that Jesus had given to his disciples was going to be a vital step forward in terms of Jesus' own earthly ministry. Yet many of us can read about the disciples going out and doing this kind of stuff without fully seeing the significance. So often we think about the ministry of Jesus in terms of his life, his miracles, his healing, his teachings, his going to the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, and then the time afterwards when he continued to instruct the, the disciples before his ascension. And, and we miss the fact that what is also really going on with Jesus and his disciples is, in fact, specifically the training of the Twelve. Uh, back in 1871, uh, Dr. A.B. Bruce, he was a professor of apologetics and New Testament exegesis at uh, Glasgow at the Free Church College in Glasgow, Scotland, so that made him a minister of the Free Church of Scotland. He published a book. This book became a classic. It was called The Training of the Twelve. And Bruce said in that book at this point in the life of, uh, of Christ that the Twelve are now to come before us as active agents in advancing the kingdom of God. Having been for some time in Christ's company, witnessing his miraculous works, hearing his doctrine concerning the kingdom, and learning how to pray and how to live, they were at length 
sent forth as evangelists to the towns and villages of their native province and to heal the sick in their master's name and by his power. The mission of the disciples as evangelists or miniature apostles was partly, without doubt, an educational experiment for their own benefit. Or as, as Bruce maintains all throughout his work, Jesus was preparing the apostles so that there would be a ministry succession to his own earthly ministry. Christ was equipping the twelve. He was equipping them for the works of ministry so that they would know and understand their calling uh, to make disciples of all the nations, to go about and plant churches wherever they went, and to build up those churches in a ministry that would bring them maturity in Christ. And although this account here is extremely brief, uh, we have here how Jesus responded to their missional endeavors. We can observe out of this some significant principles about how we should understand the ministry of the gospel. And that's important, understanding the ministry of the gospel. It's important to see how Jesus trained his apostles because all of us are called to be ministers of the gospel. Every one of us has a part with respect to the Great Commission. We're all called uh, to the work of the kingdom of God in some fashion or other, and therefore we all need to know and also to practice uh, the basic ministry concepts and principles which Jesus was instructing to his apostles. Now, uh, to the point, that is, with respect to that point, just think about this for a moment. Uh, as we were saying last uh, Sunday, with respect to our uh, adult Sunday school class, where we are right now, we're going over the basics of the gospel. And, and one of the things we said is that every one of us as a believer needs to understand the story and narrative of the gospel because we're all called to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us when anyone might ask. We all should understand what is the, the story in Scripture about the way of salvation. How should we understand you know, creation and then the fall and then the redemption and what the Christian life is like? To be able to say that, to be able to present that in a concise and clear manner to someone, uh, all of us have been entrusted with the gospel for the defense and confirmation of the faith. So understanding then, even Jesus' own manner of training the apostles, what we see in this becomes important. Now this is far from a comprehensive statement. There's just maybe three ideas that, Jesus, that, that Mark gives us in terms of Jesus' ministry here, but they are important. Uh, and we can put them very quickly this way. Uh, there's a thing of reporting. There's, there's something of resting. And then there's something significant about trusting Christ in this passage. So I want to begin with this first principle that we find here in this passage. It, it's the matter of returning and reporting. Because in verse 31, Mark records the fact that the apostles returned to Jesus and they reported and then Mark summarizes uh, their report in two parts. Uh, they told Jesus what they had done, and they told Jesus what they had taught. Now, that's a significant reminder of the fact that the ministry that Jesus sent them out to do was a ministry of both the word, what they were teaching, and the deed in terms of the deeds of mercy which they were doing. We also should remind ourselves that as we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that, that 
the, the concept or what Jesus was looking for with respect to the report, the concept of success, was not so much the success of accomplishment, but the success of faithfulness. Because within our Christian lives, success is not always reaching our objectives, even godly objectives. Faithfulness is always, success is always a matter of faithfulness to what God has called us to. Faithfulness is the hallmark of success. Not the accomplishment of objectives so much as faithfulness to what God has called us to. But the critical question here is then, why is it important for Jesus to call for the disciples to give a report upon their work? Well, anyone who's ever been a teacher (laughs) recognizes immediately, I mean, it just sort of jumps out at you. Uh, If you're a teacher, especially a master teacher and a master trainer of people, you've got to evaluate uh, those that you have been instructing, those that you've been training. So what we have here is Jesus actually hearing their report. He's evaluating their ministry. He's, he's basically checking on their progress. They were given an assignment. How well did they fulfill it? Now, there's a couple of reasons why this is important. First of all, it's important for the disciples themselves to know. Uh, they needed to receive a job review. They needed to know if they were doing the ministry in the right way because they're in the process of being trained. They haven't graduated from the school of Christ. They're still very much in midstream. There's still so much they need to know. And so this mission was a kind of actual field exercise. It was a kind of short-term internship. The disciples needed to know what about their work in terms of what did we do right? What did we perhaps fail to do right? What could we do better? What do we have to look forward to? And so we can anticipate or expect that this is what Jesus was doing with them as he's listening to their reports. But the second thing is that Jesus himself needed to know. Now now remember, we're we're working with Jesus. You should not automatically assume that Jesus has instant omniscience about everything because he's living out the life of the Redeemer in his human capacity. And so there's information that Jesus wants to receive directly from them. Did they follow his mission instructions as they were supposed to? Did they, for instance, find a worthy person and stay with that person during the time that they were there? By the way, I didn't mention this a couple of weeks ago, but another reason why they would have stayed with one person is it would have been their own discipleship of that particular person that they would have invested more in one person's time in any particular town than perhaps spreading what they were doing among several. And that would have been significant, a kind of intensiveness of their time there. So Jesus wanted to know so that he could chart out, as it were, what would be their next stage of training. So not only was Jesus, uh, not only was Jesus monitoring their progress, so to speak, but by virtue of talking to them and, and, and spending this time with them this way, Jesus was also holding them accountable. There was his nurturing in terms of training them. There was holding them accountable in terms of what they were doing. And that is always a significant aspect of teaching. It's always a significant aspect of leadership. It's always a significant aspect of of spiritual leadership that 
whatever you expect, you're also going to inspect. Now, I know that's not something we all like. <laughs> we, uh, we often find ourselves inspected and evaluated by people, but it is an absolutely necessary thing with respect to the ministry. And I think about this within the tradition that is ours, conservative biblical Presbyterianism. People have often said, why did the Baptists and the Methodists outstrip the Presbyterians in terms of the evangelization and church planting along the frontier? And it, there's no secret. The reason why is the, the training requirements to become a pastor in the Presbyterian bodies was never less than three full years. It was often uh, four years in a ministerial college. Whereas the Baptists and the Methodists were quite happy to get you saved and get you going. And, 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 and observers have said, well, this is one of the reasons why the United States frontier proliferated any number of spiritual aberrations. Our frontier was the most spiritually aberrant place in the world. Uh, people look at it and say, well, wait, the, the Methodists and, and the, the Baptists, they, they just went out and they did so much, so quickly, so fast. But because of the failure to always be given people true truth of the word of God, uh, it opened the door for all sorts of very, very strange doctrine to proliferate on the American frontier. Our tradition require the highest, most challenging form of pastoral preparation. That was its strength. But the weakness, because there has been a weakness connected with that, is that so much of that was an emphasis upon getting it all academically and educationally correct. So that those years of pastoral training often neglected the fact that men could do one thing very, very, very well. They could preach. They could teach. What they couldn't do well and what they didn't do well is what we see exemplified in the work of Jesus here. Mentoring, discipling, personally training, uh, sending men out, watching what they're doing, inspecting what they're doing so that he can make, be sure that they're thoroughly and adequately equipped in this way. I'm glad to say that in our day, we have internships at least. We require young men to actually be in a church setting before we will ever allow him to be ordained, and that's certainly helpful. So that first principle. You do. Somebody needs to check up and see how you're doing. The second principle we see here in terms of what Jesus is doing with the disciples is is, is that of retreating for the sake of resting. And we see this in verse 31, 32, where Jesus says, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, while Jesus is receiving the report, he discerns a genuine need within the disciples for their recuperation and rejuvenation. At the same time, though, we read that their lives were actually being very much filled with people coming and going, Mark says. That's exactly the description, by the way, that we find Mark using back in chapter 3 to describe what Jesus himself was experiencing 
so that he had no time even to eat. And if you remember that passage, that's what prompted Jesus' family to come and to try to take control of him because the statement is there, they thought that he was out of his mind. Well, we need to remind ourselves then what's going on here that the disciples needed rejuvenation, that they needed recuperation. Or we can ask it this way. What happens in the context of ministry to those who minister? This applies to every one of us. What happens in the context of ministry to those who minister? The reality is this. We see it in Jesus. We see it in the disciples. The expenditure of genuine effort in the work of the ministry will always have an impact upon the person who's ministering. And that impact uh, is going to be physical. It's going to be emotional. It's especially going to be spiritual. People often say, who's ministering, that ministering, like, I just feel drained. <laughs> well, the truth is, there's a genuine subtraction from a person's life when he's intensely involved in intense ministry. And, and we see this in the example of Jesus. Remember the story that goes back to chapter 3. There he was teaching the parables all day. There he had all these people around him. No leisure time even to eat. And at the end of that time, Jesus gets in a boat with his disciples to head across the Sea of Galilee. He falls asleep. A raging storm comes up, and it doesn't wake him. That's how exhausted Jesus was. Well, Jesus dis discerns here that this ministry trip has been taxing upon his disciples. And so that's why he says, let's retreat so that you can rest. And it's a general rule that when you're involved in ministry, when you're involved in the work of the kingdom, it's going to be the case that you're going to feel the impact of that upon your life. So, how do believers keep from being worn out? How do we handle this attraction that takes place in the course of ministry? Well, then we, we look at the recommendation that Jesus is making here. He says, let's get away to a desolate place. Let's get away from all of the activities of ministry, as it were. Let's get away from all the masses of people in order to rest. Now, when I was thinking about that, I thought, um, because this happens with me, tell me to rest, and my mind will immediately think about, I will actually jump to a very secular version of rest. Here's what that's like. You need to rest. Maybe someone in your job says, you need to rest. And what they're thinking in a secular sense is, go home, lounge in bed for a while, soak up a bunch of episodes on Netflix, read a bunch of spy novels, do whatever you can that's brain candy. You should basically tune out. Don't think about the job. Don't think about anything. Get your mind off of everything. Just get some physical rest, and you're going to recuperate. Because pretty much the secular view does not understand the spiritual dimensions of a human being, and especially those who are deeply involved in ministry. When Jesus uses the concept of rest, we have to, we have to grant that it's going to be informed by the Old Testament's view of rest, which has a lot to do with the concept of the Sabbath, a Sabbath rest. True rest from our labors 
according to Scripture, is a rest unto God. Uh, To come away from the people here is for the purpose of coming nearer unto God. True rest and recuperation will be found in fellowshipping with God. And we see this in the life of Jesus himself. Back in chapter 1, when Mark begins the ministry of Christ, he describes a very intense Sabbath day where Jesus is involved in the synagogue doing things. And then the Sabbath day ends, and a whole host of people uh, appear at uh, Peter's house in Capernaum. And, and he's, he's laboring from sundown until he goes to bed. But then we recognize in reading it that Jesus doesn't really sleep a full night's sleep. He got some physical restoration, but what we actually read is that Jesus gets up early, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. He departs, he goes out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. The Bible says our rest, real rest, is a rest unto God, a rest in where we pursue our relationship with God, we pursue fellowship with Him. So when Jesus was calling His disciples away to rest, it was to give them a time and place to recharge spiritually, a time of fellowship with God, and that's what they planned to do. So we read this in Mark verse 32, Mark 6:32. They went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So Jesus and the disciples, they're in the boat, and they take off across the Sea of Galilee. That was their plan. That was Jesus' plan. But in the providence of God, what they're actually seeking to do gets thwarted by the crowds of people. Because then we read in verse 33, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. I find this passage fascinating because I sometimes think, well, you know, I do the best planning I can and and it just doesn't achieve what I'm trying to plan. And then I think Jesus is doing the best planning that the Son of God is going to do for the sake of his disciples. And it looks like it's not going to work out. Um, So it looks like at that point that the disciples are not going to get this rest that Jesus knows they need because people are going to surround them once again. The pressures of the ministry are going to be there. The very thing that Jesus sees in in his wisdom that they need, it looks like it's not going to happen because it looks like there is no escape from the great needs of people who are broken by sin and the fall. I want you to think about this in terms of, of the psychology of us as Christians as we, as we look at people around us. Do, is there any time that we don't see how great their need is for Jesus Christ? Is there any time we don't see the, the brokenness of their lives? Is there any time we don't see that even this day, even this moment, even in this hour, there's a tremendous need for this person to somehow in some way 
be impacted or affected by the ministry of the Word of God. I mean, it, it, is, it is pervasive. It is constant. The fallen condition of the world means that there's a constant need for the ministry of Jesus Christ. And, and that's really what we see going on here. And this, by the way, is why there is often ministry burnout on the part of pastors and missionaries and lay workers because they see the constant need but they feel like somehow it's not right for them to take any kind of a break. And so they continue to pursue because they think the season of ministry is now, and it's now, and it's now, and it's always now, to the point that in some, you see, the affliction of the indispensability syndrome. Well, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? If I don't do it, who's going to do it? There's no time to stop. I've got to keep going. What Mark tells us in verse 34 about the actions and reactions of Jesus at this point is very helpful. Because the third principle here is the principle that those in ministry must rest in the truth that the Redeemer has the ultimate role and the ultimate responsibility in all of ministry. So look at what we read in verse 34. While the disciples are seeking to rest, the actual need of the kingdom, the actual needs continue. That is, when Jesus went ashore, <laughs> what does Jesus see? He saw a great crowd, and he had compassion upon them, because they are like sheep without a shepherd. So sure enough, they cross the Sea of Galilee, they land, and now there's this great, great, great ministry need right in front of them. And the rest, the respite, the recuperation, rejuvenation has scarcely begun before now this massive ministry is right on their doorstep. Now this is what I found to be significant. I want you to note Mark puts the emphasis on the fact that Jesus alone is the one who went ashore. That is to say, what we what we read there is Mark emphasizes that it's Jesus who went ashore. And I think it's a fair assumption that Jesus is the only one who went ashore, or the only one who actually went up to the crowds, because in verse 35 we read that when it grew late, the disciples came to Jesus. The disciples did not embark from the boat with Jesus. The disciples did not go with Jesus to the crowds. They stayed behind. Jesus went. Jesus did this ministry. And so we can actually observe this as a kind of a first observation that in this act of Jesus stepping, responding to, stepping into the situation, we find this illustrated. It's ultimately God himself, who is ever the one who carries the true effectiveness and the true load of ministry. The disciples probably thought that they were going to be called upon to get out of the boat and go with Christ, but it doesn't happen. Now, what do we learn from this? God chooses to use us. 
God using us is his ordained way of doing the work of the kingdom in the world. But God does not need to do it this way. And when we are rightly resting, or when we are providentially hindered, or when we are for some reason out of commission, God continues to do his work in people's lives. Which is to say that we are used by God for the work of the kingdom, but we're not indispensable to the work of the kingdom. God chooses to work through us. God chooses to use us. But God doesn't have to. The second observation, it's important to see what stimulated Jesus to the ministry on this occasion. What caused him to react? He sees the multitudes. And to him, we read, they are like sheep without a shepherd. Now that phrase, sheep without a shepherd, goes back into the Old Testament. It goes back to Numbers, uh, chapter 27. 15 and 16 where God instructs Moses prays God instructs Joshua to be commissioned to be Moses' successor now now look at what it says Moses spoke to the Lord saying let the Lord the God of the spirits of all flesh appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep without a shepherd. And so the Lord says, bring Joshua to me. And then Joshua's commission in Joshua chapter 1 is all connected with this idea of Joshua to be a sheep for the shepherd. So what God says to Joshua, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, is only is this, only be strong and courageous, being careful to do all the law that Moses might servant commanded you, do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do everything according to what is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. And so Joshua, to be a shepherd, He has to be guided by the word of God because the greatest need of the sheep, the people of Israel, is to be guided by the word of God. And so when Jesus sees the crowd, he sees them like sheep without a shepherd. That means that he sees them as lacking true spiritual leaders. They lack true shepherds who will lead them and feed them from the word of God Israel, the people of God, lack leaders who would teach them that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's the great need that Jesus saw. Spiritually destitute people. This is what provoked, this is what stimulated his compassion. And I think it's interesting that 1,500 years before Jesus, God raised up Moses as a deliverer. And the great exodus is a deliverance from slavery in Egypt. There's a physical deliverance as well as a spiritual deliverance. But in Jesus' day, 
the Israelites are once again virtual slaves under the power of the Roman Empire. Uh, all Roman officers, uh, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, uh, the puppet king, King Herod, uh, all of these various leaders over them that they're subject to. But what Jesus basically sees is not their political bondage. He sees their spiritual condition. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And therefore, they need the word of God. And that's what he does. His response to their condition, we read, Jesus began to teach them many things. To teach them the many things of the word of God was to address their greatest need. This reminds us that in terms of ministry, the one thing all of us as Christians have It's the one great tool or instrument that all of us as Christians use, and it is the Word of God. It is the very means of grace by which human beings, as they come to read it and understand it and know it, that brings them to the presence and person of God. It's not mystical experiences, and it is not emotional experiences, even though having emotion is not incompatible at all with experiencing God. But it is a spiritual experience of connecting with God when what we hear with our ears and read with our eyes out of the word of God actually strengthens and feeds our believing hearts. And that is why the ministry of the Apostle Paul was in fact a ministry of the word. It was his one great thing that he trusted in. It's why he said to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness so that the man of God may be equipped, complete, complete and equipped for every good work. Now, returning then to Jesus, the apostles, his training. So while the disciples are actually resting and recuperating Jesus is ministering the word of God to these lost sheep. Even though there are many people needing the ministry of the word, Jesus is taking care of the disciples by allowing them to rest. They can see from the boat, or from the shore if they stepped off the boat, they can see that Jesus has embraced the great crowd. They can see that although Jesus has used them, and they have been kingdom ambassadors from village to village, and that it's been a, a, a great privilege for them to serve in this way, now Jesus is taking the load himself, which is a statement to them, and it should be a lesson to us, that it's ultimately Christ himself who's ever the one who carries the true effectiveness and the true load and burden of ministry. Christ chooses to use us. It's his ordained way of doing the work of the ministry. But he does not ultimately need us. When we are rightly resting, or when we're providentially hindered, or when we're out of commission, God will continue to do his work in people's lives. Close with this thought. Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42, story of Mary and Martha. Jesus is in their home. 
with his 12 disciples. He loves these two sisters dearly. He's often a guest in their home. But in this particular situation, we have Martha coming out and complaining to Jesus in these words. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? That's Martha. Because entertaining 13 men is a lot of work. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all of the work? And Jesus says to Martha, 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 you are so worried and concerned about so many things, but Mary has chosen what is best, and it shall not be taken away from her. Mary understood that resting in the presence of Jesus, listening to his word, having her life built up by the presence of Jesus was, in fact, the one necessary thing that Jesus says, this shall not be taken away from her. So all of us, in the busyness of our lives, the love that we have for family members as Christians often is ministry. The concern we have for others, it can be labeled ministry. Uh, Things we do at our jobs, that often go beyond what our job description is, can often be ministry. And it can reach a point where there needs to be a reckoning that we need some rest, we need some recuperation. Uh, We need to find some place to be where we can actually be there with Jesus and understand that during this time, Jesus will continue to do his work, his ministry, whatever he's doing in the lives of others. And we can trust him that this is so. Let's pray. Father, help us to appreciate the wisdom that Jesus presents here. And not that we might ever think that we shouldn't be active and busy in terms of the work of the kingdom. But to recognize that there also needs to be times of rest and recuperation. But how important that rest and recuperation is in terms of fellowshipping with you, spending time with you finding, Lord, our restoration, our needed resources, our revival in you. May it be so, Lord. May we understand that it is your word and in in your presence that we find ourselves truly where we should be. In Christ's name, amen.